good to be with you, church family. Thank you for tuning in and uh, studying the lesson with us. We've been working through the book of Luke. The first Sunday of December, we looked at the birth of John the Baptist being foretold, and then the birth of Christ being foretold. In the second week, we looked at the lesson, and then John the Baptist's birth. Last week, you looked at the birth of Jesus and the shepherds coming to praise the Lord over that. And so today, we're going to look at another story that confirms who Jesus was. Let's remember, as we look at the book of Luke, that his huge mission in writing this story was to compile an orderly account of how Jesus was the fulfillment of all of God's plan with Israel and God's design for the whole world. So we want to see him, Luke, keep laying out that plan and that program and that story that we might, that we might be convinced as uh, he wrote it that Jesus is the Christ. So our story today will begin on the eighth day of Jesus' life. And if you haven't opened your Bibles already, I'm going to ask you to open them to Luke chapter 2, verse 21. And uh, even though in this story Jesus is not going to say anything or do anything himself, it's still a story all about Jesus. So we're going to read verses 21 through 38 of chapter 2 of Luke. And I'm going to take the privilege of reading them for us this morning. And when eight days had passed... Before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days for their purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves, or two young pigeons. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And he had been reve- it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, Then he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. And his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, This child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years and had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, serving night and day with fastings and prayers. At that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of Him to all who were there looking for the redemption of Israel. I'm going to add an extra verse, verse 39. When they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own city of Nazareth. So thank you for following along with that. There are three uh, groups of players in this story, and we're going to divide our Uh, study this morning up by those three. We're going to look at Mary and Joseph first. We're going to look at Anna and Simeon second. 
And finally, we'll look at the main player in this story, which is not Jesus or the parents or the elderly. It is God himself. So let's take a look at those three, beginning with Mary and Joseph. Now, let's not forget from our earlier studies, this is a very young couple. Most scholars have Mary's age to be somewhere between 13 and 15 years of age. They've traveled to their ancestral home, though perhaps they had never been there before. So much in their life was not had they thought it would be and not had planned. And it ought to sound familiar to us these days as we're going through days that we've not planned and not uh, thought would be the way it would be. Many of us planned this morning uh, because it's Christmas and Christmas weekend to be with our family. And perhaps many of you listening are not able to do that. So um, we ought to understand that their days had not been what they had planned. God had abruptly broken into their life with the very best news possible that a Savior was coming into the world, but it was a plan that would cost both of them dearly. Scholars are not sure if Mary had to accompany Joseph when he went to register for the census in Bethlehem, but considered for just a moment from Mary's perspective. She was pregnant. They were not married yet. It was a surprise to everyone. Joseph understood. No one else probably understood Mary's situation and circumstances of her pregnancy, but Joseph believed her, knew her, trusted her, took her to be his wife, uh, kept her as a virgin, and so if he was going to leave town, she was going to leave town and go with him and accompany him, and so they had gone together to register for the census that you stated a couple weeks ago. Luke emphasizes particularly the piety of Jesus' parents in obeying and honoring God by observing the commandments of the Jewish law. So they set out in this passage to fulfill three very distinct ancient ceremonies of the law. They said they brought him, speaking of Jesus, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. The word present conveys the idea of surrendering or yielding up. So we see them offering themselves and following these three ancient ceremonies. The first one mentioned is the ceremony of circumcision. It was circumcision before witnesses and before he was actually circumcised, they declared what his legal name would be, and his name was Jesus. This is the name given to them by the angel before she even was pregnant, given in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. In its Old Testament form, uh, his name was Jehoshua, or Joshua, or Yeshua, and it means Jehovah is salvation. So the very first act with the baby Jesus, after his birth, was an act of obedience to Jewish tradition and Jewish law. Mary and Joseph then had their son circumcised. It marked him both humanly and spiritually as a child of the covenant. Uh, the entire family generally gathered at the circumcision, which was on the eighth day, to celebrate this special event. It declared that he was part of the Jewish community, part of the Jewish religion, part of the Jewish family. It was no small thing to get your name and to be circumcised. And so they went there to do that. It was a ceremony of uh, following the law of Moses, performed in every male of that age. And though Jesus certainly needed no cutting away because there was no sin in his life, it marked again that he was there to be a human. Jesus came in human form and went through the human ceremonies, even though all of them did not necessarily were not necessarily for him. He who knew no sin still submitted to that. And so we see this act of commitment on the part of Joseph and Mary. The second ceremony was the dedication of the firstborn male to the Lord. Exodus, Exodus 
chapter 13, verse 2, plainly states that the firstborn male in all human families and all cattle belonged to and was sacred to the Lord. It was recognition that everyone belonged to the Lord, but that firstborn especially. And if that child was not from the tribe of Levi, uh, and who was taken to stand in for the firstborn child, then an offering had to be made, an offering of dedication. And that child had to be dedicated to the Lord and an offering paid because the Levites were the ones set apart to serve the Lord. So each family made that offering. Um, The scholar Hendrickson has made a great comment. He said, The presentation referred to included redemption or the payment of a ransom fee. On this 40th day, the Redeemer himself was redeemed. And as strange as that may sound to us, in physical terms, this was true. He was not redeemed spiritually as he was going to be the payment for our spiritual redemption, but in fact, a physical redemption price was paid for Jesus. Uh, he had to pay five, his family had to pay five shekels of silver, which in, by today's terms translates into about $3.20. And this was the price of redemption uh, for the child. And so Mary and Joseph, a very poor family, uh, made that offering, made that payment, and dedicated their child. The third ceremony that we see them performing here is Mary's purification after childbirth. In Leviticus, in the 12th chapter, we see that... uh, For the first seven days, every woman who had born a child was considered as unclean, so as to a great degree that no one could touch or converse with her except being polluted. For 33 more days, she was considered ceremonially impure. That is, she could have conversation and and contact with people, but she could not go into the temple and do religious uh, things. And so at the end of those 33 on top of the previous seven, at the end of 40 days, uh, then she could go and sacrifice could be made for her. Now, it could be done by her husband, but in this case, they went together to the temple. And so they brought a sacrifice, and this would restore all of her purity and give her all the rights of a female. Um, if she had been born a daughter first, then it would have been twice as long. But in this case, it was 40 days. Um, it was evident uh, that she was a mother, even though we know how she conceived. It was different from anyone else. But they brought Jesus to, to Jerusalem at the 40th day, and they made a presentation. First, that Mary was purified, and then they presented him before the Lord. And so uh, what we think happened is that they did not go back to Nazareth after eight days, but they stayed there in Bethlehem. It was just six miles from Jerusalem. They would stay there for the 40 days, and at the end of the 40 days, they would go up to Jerusalem and do the rite of purification for Mary and do the offering of a sacrifice for Jesus and fulfill all the customs. And it's going to be a much easier way. It says that every male that opens the womb was to offer a sacrifice, a pair of turtle doves. And this was the offering required from the poor. In Leviticus, it's clear that if you had the means, you were to offer a lamb. But this family was so poor, uh, they could not offer a lamb. Jesus himself was going to be the lamb of sacrifice for all of us later on, but all they could offer was the sacrifice of the two young pigeons as a sin offering. So Jesus was born into a poor family, but this poor family did all that they could do and fulfill the law in every aspect. Now, this first part of the story just reminds us how much Joseph and Mary were obedient to the law of God. And he chose them as a very specific uh, young family because he knew their heart. 
he knew that they would do the right thing and they would uh, fulfill all the law as it had been set forth. So they paid the fee. Uh, they did that which needed to uh, for Mary to be uh, purified. And it says that like Zacharias and Elizabeth, they were both righteous in the sight of God. And uh, they walked in the commandments and the requirements of the Lord. And it just gives testimony to who they were that God had chosen them. Now, we move on here to the story of Simeon and Anna. Simeon is a, an elderly uh, prophet who was, well, not a prophet, but he was in the temple. And his name means God hears. And as they bring him into there, it says in verse 25, this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Um, there are not many in the New Testament who are described as righteous. Um, Mary's husband Joseph was described as righteous. Mary was described as righteous. Zacharias and Elizabeth were described as righteous. Joseph of Arimathea is described as righteous. But here we see Simeon described as a righteous and devout man. Simeon was not a priest, as far as we can tell, had no religious uh, credentials. He was not a prophet. But it says he was looking for the consolation of Israel. And that's just Jewish code talk for looking for the Messiah. Uh, one of the traditional Jewish prayers of the day said, May I see the consolation of Israel. The prayer was an answer for Simeon when he saw Jesus Christ in the temple. And he was a man who was led by the Spirit of God. Now, it's remarkable to notice in verses 25, 6, and 7, three times we see the mention of the Spirit of God. Now, prior to Pentecost, we don't find the Spirit living in people, but we find it throughout the Old Testament occasions, and we find it here prior to Pentecost, that the Spirit would come upon people, not live in them, but be upon them. And that means that He would lead them. He would direct them. He would give them direction. And so Simeon was under the direction of the Holy Spirit. And in fact, there are seven references in the first two chapters of Luke to the Holy Spirit. So uh, Luke is trying to give us indication how God is orchestrating and moving people and causing circumstances to happen to bring about all that He wants to do. So, Simeon understood that the salvation of Israel involved much more uh, than some national deliverer, although all Jews were looking for that. Uh, he was looking for someone who was promised by the Abrahamic and the Davidic covenants who would not only deliver their nation, but perhaps in a, in a greater way deliver the people. And this is exactly what Jesus did. And so, when he sees the child, he takes that child in his arms in verse 28. Again, it's almost surprising that, um, that Mary and Joseph would allow that to happen. But I think they recognized uh, in Simeon, who was described as a righteous and a devout man, and they allowed it, and he took him into his arms, a 40-day-old child, and he blesses the Lord. And he says, Lord, you've allowed me to see your Messiah. You've allowed me to see the Christ. And so I can now depart in peace. And my life is complete, if you will. And Lord, he, I recognize, will be the light to Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel, so that he would fulfill all things to all people uh, who would look for a Savior. And it says in verse 33 that his mother and father, Joseph and Mary, were amazed at the things which were being said about him. Now, 
as possible. And you, we know that they knew that they were having the Son of God. But don't for a moment think that Mary and Joseph understood all that that meant. They did not. And we're going to see evidences later on in that in Jesus' ministry that his family did not understand who he was. And though they believed all they'd been told, all they'd been told was not fully comprehensible. And so a great a great mystery was taking place. And so they were amazed at the things which were being said about him. Uh, not amazed again because he was God's son, but still amazed that others would recognize him and know who he was. So it's a tremendous thing. And then it says here in verse 36 that a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher, came there. Now, it's amazing because Asher was one of those ten tribes that disappeared. He was deported uh, to Assyria in the year 722 B.C. But obviously, some of the people came back or stayed in the land, and some continued to trace their family lines. And here was one who had traced their lines. Even when the tribe had disappeared, she knew what tribe she was of. And she was there, and she was a prophetess. And so she either had prophecies uh, but most likely what she did was she declared the word of the Lord. She shared the truths of the Old Testament with all who would uh, hear. And she was advanced in years. And it says that she was a widow to the age of 84. If she was 84 when Jesus was brought in the temple and he, at the 40th day, that means she was alive and even uh, into her 20s before Israel was conquered, back when when uh, Anna was born, Israel was an independent nation. But then Rome came in uh, in the 60s, uh, 60 BC, and took over Jerusalem and took control of everything in Israel. And so she had, uh, for many years, she'd been married for seven years, and then after that she'd been a widow. So we don't know how long that is, but she's now at the age of 84, and she stayed in the temple. She couldn't live there, but day after day after day until... For uh, probably 60 or so years, she had been going to the temple every day, and she fasted, and she offered prayers for the consolation of Israel. And uh, she was one of those who just were recognized by everyone around her as one who devoted herself to continual service in the temple and sharing the truth and praying for Israel. It says that uh, she came in verse 38. She, at the very moment she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of Him, Jesus, to all those who were looking for the redemption of Israel. Israel was bound, and they were spiritually bound, and she knew that. She knew the Old Testament scriptures, and so she's speaking to everyone who will listen that this child whom she has seen on this day will be the one who will um, deliver the people. Now, how that message was received, we don't know, but uh, she shared that, and I'm sure that Mary and Joseph treasured that. And it says in verse 39 that when they performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they then returned to Galilee, to their own city of Nazareth. So some time is taking place, and, and uh, these things are happening, but they've been obedient. They've been led by the Spirit. They were uh, These elderly people, Anna and Simeon, uh, had never given up hope that one day they might see the Messiah, and God blessed them, and they were able to see that. But I want to share with you that the story is not about this young couple who trust the Lord at every, at every level uh, but didn't understand everything, or the elderly couple who were not a pair, but they were both there. But the story is really about how God was working and moving people. And as Joseph and Mary were obedient to the scriptures, as Anna and Simeon were obedient to the Lord for a long, long time, he brought them all together on this one day. 
And so the real miracle worker, the real hero of the story, again, is God. Uh, it's If we'll step back, we can see how much God was doing. It says in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, that when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law. And the idea in Galatians, as Paul writes, is, is that God had a plan and he worked the plan. And when the exact right moment came, then he brought forth his son. But not only at that moment did he bring him forth, but he would continue to work things. Even we see now into these first 40 days of the life of Jesus, he did things to confirm who he was, to encourage Joseph and Mary, and then to mark Jesus as one who walked under the law, who was fulfillment of everything, who would, who would obey the law and then eventually free us from the law by, by his death for us. So it's a story of the earthly beginnings of the, of the ministry of Jesus and uh, the Christ and how God moved everything to be just as he planned. Now, I'd encourage you next week, we're going to be looking at the rest of chapter 2 in Luke, verses 39 through 52. It's a great lesson. So go ahead and read the rest of that and see how it's, it's set up. It's setting the stage for Jesus' public ministry, which begins in chapter 3. So these are the stories from the early days, but they're very much the foundation to what's about to take place. Now, as we've celebrated the Christmas this past weekend, as reminded that God is still in control today and that He's orchestrating and moving things and moving people and moving circumstances and conditions. He's in control of elections. He's in control of diseases. He's in control of our health. He's in control of friendships. He's in control of a lot of things, and He's moving things to bring us to a greater trust and walk with Him. And so I pray that your time in Scripture this morning has encouraged your heart to continue to trust Him and to know that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. Now let me pray for us. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the richness of it. We thank You for the obedience of Joseph and Mary. We thank You for the way that You protected them. They could treasure up these things, Father, even not fully understanding them. Father, like us, understanding and reading things, not fully understanding them, but trusting you and being blessed with the Holy Spirit, Father. You've given us understanding, and I pray you continue to give us understanding as we look into your word. Now this week, Father, may all we do honor you. May we continue to live in the spirit of Christmas, that is, that that Christ has come and that he reigns, and may our lives indicate that in all that we do. And we thank you, and we ask these things together in Christ's name. Amen.